Welcome to the Fizzle Show. The word fizzle has two meanings. The first is to fail in a weak and disappointing way. And the second is to buzz or crackle like electricity. Both of these we think are necessary (laughs) in your entrepreneurial journey. And through the show, we explore why many small businesses fizzle out and why others seem to crackle and buzz with energy. On the show, we have three hosts. If uh, if we were professional wrestlers from the WWE, Corbett would be Corbett No Holds Bar because he has a no-nonsense, get-the-job-done mentality, a baby face, and an awesome hat for ring attire. Chase, that's me, would be Chase Weirdman Reeves because he has both an aloof charm and an intimidating seriousness about him. And just when you think you know where he's coming from, he takes a sharp left and hits you with a huge reversal, changing the match entirely. And Caleb, he's the deep one, would be simply Leb. Quick on his feet, intimidatingly massive, covered in tattoos from neck to toe, and deceptively strong. His finisher is, of course, the Wash Bomb. <laughs> That one comes to us from Anthony Newman. Oh my goodness, that was a good one. On this episode of the show, we feature and discuss a really great interview that I got to do with a guy named Mark Camus, and I'll explain to you exactly who he is. Um, I'll just say this. Corbett says about this interview that he's, it, he, it's the, his most favorite one that, we, that he's ever heard us do. So that's exciting. I like that. You're really going to like it. So, well, I hope you well so let's get into it okay guys uh i have got uh i've told you this i'm excited about this thing that i want uh to share with you guys today an interview that i did with a guy named mark canless now does that name mean anything to any of you it means something to me yeah Yeah. it should mean something to you caleb you live there too yeah leb so Maybe, maybe i couldn't afford it Maybe maybe not. If you're from Seattle, you know that name, Canlis, because um, if you've ever driven uh, Highway 99, at least if you've ever driven it, um, just as you get to the overlook over Lake Union, just north of downtown, there's this restaurant that's perched up there, and you wonder what the hell it is. Um, And it says, just on the wall outside, sort of understated, it says Canlis. And eventually you get to know that it is the fanciest restaurant in town. The fanciest, the fanciest, um, and so I I went up on this on this trip to in Canada with a handful of other people that like from around the world, just a random like you know friends of a friend basically, and um, and got to meet the Canless family. Now the Canless restaurant it has been around for sixty two years. Um, it's been a family affair the whole time. It's now run by the two sort of the two boys who are, you know, 40, forties, maybe something like that. Uh, Mark and Brian. And I got to, I got a chance in this, which you're going to hear is a a call that I had with Mark because when I met him and their family, and when they started talking about the way they look at their restaurant, uh, started talking about the way they approach the business side and the people side and how there's, for them, like kind of no difference between the two. Uh, the way that they look at their, quote, customers, the things that they have to say about them, the way that they prepare their restaurant for them, all of the stories that he was telling, like, I would, like, it just felt like, oh my God. It was, it was so 
jarring to me because it felt like such this innocuous, like unthreatening, like, oh, yeah, it's a little restaurant over there. And these concepts and these ideas felt like they applied directly to to every design that I've ever made and, and were the culmination of so many ideas and education that, that I've had that never really went as far as they went. Uh, and it makes so much sense. So hopefully what I'll do right now is we'll play the, we'll play the interview and hopefully in this dear listener, it, it, you can have a, get a little bit of the same sense, uh, that, that I did from, from meeting Mark. And I'm glad I showed it to you guys. And we're, we're gonna be back just afterwards, uh, to, to discuss some of, of what we heard in there and what we thought was interesting. But, uh, the initial impressions I've heard from you guys is that the interview was really good, which I'm excited about. Uh, not that I did, not that I had good questions. I say about four words in this. <laughs> uh, he, Mark is just, I love the way that he looks at this stuff. So without any further, anything else you guys want to say before we shoot to the interview? I just, I love that in, from talking to him without ever having been to the restaurant, you got the sense that you need to find out what the hell this is all about because just the Mm -hmm. way he describes it is incredible. And, um, when you're listening to this, anybody that's listening to this, think about restaurants, that's fine. But then think about your own business and everything he says is dead on the money. Let's take it away with. Mark Canless. When someone asks you what is Canless, what, what do you end up? What do you tell them? <laughs> uh, a collection of crazy people up in Seattle. I yeah. mean, you know, a lot of people. I'll obviously like, yeah, what's Canless? Um, it's a restaurant, and uh, it's our family restaurant, and um, we don't go a whole lot beyond that. You know, everyone says, well, what kind of food it is, or or, or what sort of like what's the um, you know, what's the theme? And anymore, fine dining restaurants don't really have themes so much. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, and it doesn't, I don't know, to, to try to narrow it down to say it's like neoclassical contemporary Northwest cuisine, it sounds ridiculous. So yeah. it's a uh, it's fancy restaurant and um, it, it, it's, it's killer. Like it's cool. You know, we kind of, we kind of stay out of the out of the set mold of, of, I don't know how you define a restaurant. I, I work in one. So yeah, it's yeah. our, it's our family place and it's three generations and it's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of badass, you know, <laughs> if you just a humble way to say that, I would say that. I'm not, I'm not sure how you do that, but sometimes I say it's like one of the best restaurants in America. And then that sounds like, Oh really? You got a nice attitude. Like, like a big ego. Uh, it, it, it's a really, you know, it's, it's an award winning restaurant and, uh, it's been here a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's been there for like 60 years, right? Over 60 years? Yeah, 64 and a half as of, you know, today, more or less. That is crazy. Uh, I was reading some stories and, and, and uh, I mean, just, the, just, you know, just moving back one generation would be pretty exceptional for it to still be around. But this obviously, this goes back to your grandfather. Who that I was going to say, like, in restaurants are, are like dog years. You know, it's like yeah. dog years, like 70. Yeah, so, so the tutorial restaurant is like 312, is like <laughs> in normal company years, I think, because Totally. It's kind of a risky business. They normally don't succeed. So yeah. we got really lucky or something. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, my grandfather started in 1950 and, uh, and, and he, uh, in many ways was just like ahead of his time. And so, um, really changed a lot of the fine dining scene here on the West coast and, uh, changed the way that we, um, well, the way that restaurants serve people. Uh, mm. so like, a like Pitbull, for example, started most likely in the in our first restaurant in Hawaii, and um, sort of team style service like that. You got to think fine dining in the 
40s and 50s was a different ballgame. Yeah. Right? And so you had servers that were French and Italian. They were they were men always. Uh, they were in tuxedos. They were uh, often came complimentary with a attitude and someone looking down their nose that you mispronouncing something in French. And yeah. And so what he was doing right after the war, I mean, 1946, it was his first, it was called Camels, but he opened a restaurant called The Boiler. And that's right after the war. And he hired all these Japanese women who were unemployed or coming back out of internment camps and that kind of thing. you got to think, to hire a Japanese woman in Honolulu in 1946 um, was just a little bit progressive. And uh, he did it because um, he loved the way they served. And he just wanted to kind of ditch the whole European formality for what Asia brought, which was a humility and a graciousness, a warmth, a serenity, a team atmosphere, a team style service. And he just fell in love with it. So, I mean, in the early days they were all wearing their kimonos and, uh, and they were the, they were the face of camelots for, for mm-hmm. so many years. We don't obviously don't service in kimonos anymore, but <laughs> um, man, we did for like 40 years, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's where all that, that's where that comes from. That's where that heritage comes from is, um, from the Asian culture. And it's just, I, I, I still think America has a lot to learn from it, to be totally honest with you. Yeah. So when we were together up on this, up on this weird, weird lodge trip, that was amazing. Um, and where you and I met, you were recounting some stories about, um, like, I remember, I remember when one of our mutual friends, Tom said, you know, when he was talking to me later, he's like, you know, we asked him about his restaurant. We said, you know, what makes your food, what makes your restaurant so good? And we expected the answer about like the tweezers used on the on totally. scallops that were like, you know, totally. duck fat or something like that. We expected these kinds so of they things. They wanted like some secret sauce recipe or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And what they got instead sort of blew their minds. How did you answer that question there? It just, I mean, uh, here's the thing like, you don't wake up in the morning knowing you're going to go out to a fine dining restaurant and say to yourself, I just can't wait to try brown butter sage reduction on my seared scallop with tarragon and lemon, you know, verjou. Like, I'm sorry, but like, that's not how it works. You know, you wake up and you say, oh man, like today's my anniversary. Tonight's that night that I've been waiting for. Like we've hired a sitter for this. We're getting away from the kids for this. Like tonight's three or four hours just alone with my wife. You know, I'm needing this time. I'm wanting this time. So look across the table at her, sit side by side with her, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what we crave. And so my answer to those guys um, was that I I think what has put our restaurant in good standing or what, what makes us a good restaurant is that we're really good at understanding other people um, and at meeting and fulfilling a deep longing that we believe everybody has when they walk into the front door, which is tonight really needs to matter to me right? Or to me, the guest. And so if you start in that place or a place where these people come at you in a pretty vulnerable way, right? A, they're hungry and thirsty. They've probably been sitting in traffic, so frustrated. Um, and they, and they also need desperately for tonight to matter. You know, it's a special occasion restaurant. It's pretty expensive. It's pretty fancy. And some people wait their whole lives to come here. Some people can afford it, but honestly, the majority of our guests can't. Like, this is something that they have looked forward to most of their lives. I have people every night that say, I've always wanted to come to a restaurant in Seattle my entire life. So, hmm. it's a, it's an honor, right? And, 
there is this moment. It's kind of like asking girl uh, to uh, to dance. I don't, did you guys have like, did she, I mean, like homecoming or whatever, right? Like, yeah, there's this moment where you say, you know, will you go to the dance with me? And she's like silent for an eighth of a second, dying like all these deaths and. That 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 pain you're feeling is this sort of vulnerability of like I hope she'll have me, yeah. You know, like I, I hope, I hope, and if she just says, "Oh, sure, I, I guess," you know, looking around if anyone else is going to ask her the next yeah. you know, ten seconds, it's not cool, right? But if she's like, "Oh, God, I was hoping you would ask me," you know, and like beaming at you with her eyes, that's a different kind of reception. So yeah. the same is true when somebody walks into the front door. Is they're basically saying man, I need tonight to matter and I hope you'll have me. Yeah. And if we can catch them in that place and if we can, if we can just warm to them and beam at them and say, we're camless and we've been waiting for you, mm. you know, like that's yeah. a different kind of welcome. And so that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're trying to meet people where they are. We're trying to understand who they are and what they're bringing to the table. And, and our program, whether that's the menu or the service or the view or 64 years of traditions, doesn't really matter. Honestly, those are just, those are just tools um, to the trade, but they're not strategies for winning the game, right? Like, the strategy for winning the game is to understand the guest, mm. is to say, who is this person? Where are they right now? And if you're not starting there, if you're not serving them in that way, you're serving yourself a little bit, right? Like, yeah. So I don't think a restaurant is, I don't think you're, you're supposed to be paying homage to a chef or to a dish or to a restaurant tour or to the view. Like I just, there's just not time for that in life. Yeah. So I think it's, 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 a, it's incumbent on the restaurant to put the guests in the spotlight. And it's so easy these days just for everything else. The spotlight gets taken by whatever it is, you know, the media, the, 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 you know, just the sensationalism of, of chefs and restaurateurs and, and glamorous dishes and food port and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like, wait a second, did we forget something here? Like yeah. we're here to take care of someone else. And so that's what we were talking about. Today. Well, Tom and I might have yeah. been a, a tear or two shed at some, at some stage, but it, it's a, it's kind of a visceral thing. Uh, at some, at some stage, like, wow, this is what we're trying to do. It's cool. If you can pull it off. Yeah. And what I remember as I, I think we, we, this concept of, of, I love what you said about these are just the tools. Uh, they aren't the strategy for winning the game. You know, if you, if we were, you were talking about the World Cup yeah. lately, and uh, I was watching that. I was watching uh, who kicked it off? Spain and the Netherlands or something like that? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's like 1 1 and a half time after the Netherlands, like ridiculously stunning header, right? And then. Yep. We were talking about halftime speeches the other day to the staff, and I just said, you know, there's two ways to go in. Like, you've got this 90,000-person crowd screaming and chanting and singing songs, you know, and you waited your whole life to be in the World Cup, right? And here you are, and you're supposed to be Spain, who won the thing last year or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And hey, can you imagine a coach, like, standing up and saying, okay, here's, here's the plan. Like, we're going we're gonna to get out there, we're going to keep the ball in bounds. Whatever you do, don't kick the ball out of bounds. <laughs> because if we do the other team's going to get a throw in it. That's bad, right? So, yeah. I mean, imagine him, like, paying attention. Like, oh, yeah, and also, like, don't touch it with your hands because if you touch it with your hands, the other team gets a free kick, and that's bad. Okay, break, you know, go. Like, there's nothing there's nothing about that speech that's right other than the fact that it's entirely uninspiring. Yeah. It's focusing on the rules. Yeah. It, a player's going to say, Coach, you know, we know how to play it, but God, tell us, tell us, 
what we need to hear right now, right? And somebody who gets up there and is like, hey, you've spent your whole lives dreaming about today, uh, rolling around in the grass. You play this game because you love the feel of a soccer ball. You love the smell of the grass. Or you do it because because you running out there in that field is, is like the most beautiful expression of yourself. You have to go out for the next 45 minutes. Just remember that. And win or lose, you got to go out and be you on that field, right? Mm-hmm. There's a coach talking strategy to their team. It's basically saying, go out and become the person who you have wanted to become your entire life. And we're saying that to our staff in many ways. We're saying, hey, look, in our company, profitability, that's just the rule of the game. Let's define whether or not we win, right? Like, there's a rule that says if you don't make money, somebody else gets your company, and there's a rule, and then you get to kind of define that, and you can break it. I've, we've broken it. We've lost money in this company. We, if you break it too many times, you lose. If you fumble the ball in football, like every time you get it, you're probably going to lose, right? But you can break rules. The strategies are totally different. So when we bring someone on into the company, like the number one question that matters in an interview is how will working at Canvas help you become who you're trying to become? But that's what I want to know. So you're going to spend a year, 10 years here, whatever it is, of your best energy, like your best life, right? You're, like you're, you're waking hours and you're going, to, you're going to bleed and you're going to cry and you're going to sweat with us and you're going to stress with us. It's not easy in this business, right? Mm-hmm. And we demand a ton from them. And I need to know that in it all, through all of that, somehow you're becoming who you want. I'm not what. I don't care if you want to become a chef or something like that. That doesn't matter, right? Who? There's not time to focus on what we're becoming. It's like, give me a role model or a mentor or someone that you respect because I bet you that person has some characteristics that you just deep down wish you could change. We all want to change a little bit. So if I can hire someone who, while they're working for me, is changing into the person they want to become, now we're focusing on strategies for winning because those kinds of people, they are really good, it turns out, at being servers. And cooks and back servers and sommeliers are really good at understanding other people. If you yourself, in the process of growth, of change, understanding your own humanity, man, it's amazing how you can understand that in someone else's world. Yeah. Once you understand someone else's world, you can take care of them better. So that's what we're trying to do. And it's, I don't know, it's a little deeper than just what we put on the plate. Not that that matters. Like the rule of the game is food's got to be awesome, especially yeah. in fine dining. It's got to blow you away. The service has to be perfect, right? Like those are just bathrooms got to be clean, windows got to be clean. Like those are rules, mm. but we don't we don't focus on them more than that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, now you told you told some stories there that that still I can't. I've got a buddy who just opened up a bar here in Portland, and it's really wonderful to watch him, uh, like you know, get into the the hospitality and get to sort of riff with him on the idea of service and creating a place and what it means to be a neighborhood spot and stuff. Um, And I keep telling him just that little bits of stories that I recall from uh, from what you shared uh, with me earlier. And so you mentioned you mentioned a handful of these. What, what are there any that that stand out in your mind of of how you create? Well, I think this? we were talking about like like hospitality, right? Like yeah. wh- mm-hmm. where that comes from and that kind of thing. And, yep, exactly. Um, I don't know. Like when we're training our staff, we always take it back to the beginning of that word. If you look at the Latin hospitalitas, it's Greek. There's like a zillion roots of this word, but basically, yeah. it all kind of puts you the same place, and it implied that you took somebody in. And, and literally that you took in a stranger, 
And uh, if we look at that, whatever it was to say, uh, just kind of pre-Roman times, you're taking people in who have no place to stay at night, right? There's no 911. And it's not like you've got a bonus room and, and three spare bedrooms in your suburban home. Like, there wasn't room. So you carved it out. You know, you told your kids to sleep on the floor or whatever. And you brought this person in. And in certain cultures, there are other things. A lot of uh, Mediterranean cultures, the, the feeding them is important. In Celtic cultures, protecting them is important. Like, if, like if they had people after them, it's like you defended them. Like, you suddenly became their castle, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's all this, all this wrapped up into the word hospitality. So... We translate that in a modern way of making space for someone uh, emotionally and saying to themselves, you've got to be generous with who you are and you've got to be other-centered. In fact, those are, those are two big values, right? Trustworthy is number one, but number two and three are generous to other-centered. And what I'm talking about with them is you literally have to carve out your own self and create space for someone else. And it's not easy to do, you know, raising narcissists walking into the door and treads on you a little bit or says the wrong thing with the wrong attitude. It, you know, it, it kind of hurts. It kind of yeah. sucks. Kind of get pissed at him. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and whoever it is, you know, it's just a normal guy who's having a hard day. Maybe he's just not as polite as not everyone's worked at a restaurant. Right. So mm-hmm. it is, it's incumbent on us to say to ourselves, wait a second. Um, that person may have just hurt my feelings or just stepped on me a little bit, but, I have no idea where they're coming from. Yeah. And uh, maybe I just need to, maybe I just need to let that go. And that process, I wish I could tell you I was good at, but it sucks. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Like, you know, it's hard to do with your wife. It's hard to do with your kids, with your, with your brother. Like, and it's really hard to do with a stranger. Um, and yeah, I think that's what we're called to do at restaurants. I think, the, the, I think that's, that's where you get this word restore from, right? Is that, you literally are to bring these people in and you are to care for them and send them out refreshed, restored, recharged, you know, ready to, to take on the, the rest of the journey. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, now you told the story about, um, about like, for example, a, a, a mother suffering from cancer, six sisters flying. Yeah. In. What, what yeah. happened there? It's just like, after so many years, you see a lot of special things. I think maybe that's where we got our perspective from. But mm. that particular dinner, it was, it was uh, at Seven Tops. It was seven people come in, and um, this mom had all her daughters fly in, you know, grown daughters in their 20s and 30s and stuff. And they were from the country. The mom was here at our, we've got a pretty big cancer research center here, and they do a lot mm-hmm. of thermal stuff. But essentially, they had said, you have two weeks to live. Girls, six of them flew in to have one last dinner with their mom, right? And so, if you look at that table, um, it's really easy to see that what we're doing doesn't matter as much as what's happening at the table. Mm. Like, there's only one of those dinners that's going to happen, and it's done, yeah. right? So, if you're not paying attention, for example, you might have a server come in, and this happens to a lot of restaurants. But plate comes down and then off they go and some long soliloquy about all the ingredients to the dish, right? And they have no idea they're interrupting this really special moment. Like if they were to look up from the dish and see like people crying and people like yeah. and, like just not aware. And same with the sommelier, you know, off he goes talking about the wine. Or, like it doesn't it doesn't matter, you know. The Psalm's job is to go see the table and to hear the guests and say, you know what? 
Like, don't, don't stay on that left. Let me bring you the perfect line. Like, let me yeah. bring you what I think here. And then, and then let them have their evening together. Like, so that we disappear. Again, we're not supposed to be in the spotlight. The mom's supposed to be in the spotlight. The daughters are supposed to be in the spotlight. Like, this is it. So that mom did die a couple of weeks later. We heard from the girls what a special night that was for them. And so that to us is just an example of, it's just a reminder of like, wow, okay, this is, this is all they have. Somebody walks into their front door and they're giving you their most valuable possessions, like their time mm-hmm. and their memories. And uh, I had a guy, he was, a, he was coming back from the Iraqi war and he was E2. So he was kind of like any money. Like he could see all the, public military records with these people make. Mm-hmm. And he know he can't afford this restaurant, right? His girlfriend's coming, his wife rather. And uh, he called and said, I'm on a window table. And I actually took the call and I said, hey, you know what, what's going on? He said, especially, he said, look, I've been, I've been away for a year deployed to any wide Iraq. And, uh, and I don't know if you, and I was in the military, I don't know if you know what goes on, but you know, when I got home and heard, you know, that my wife was faithful to me and a lot of guys' wives weren't, I just, I just said, I'm going to take you out to the best dinner ever. And so he buys her this dress. He buys himself a suit just to come to the restaurant, right? And he sits down and, and, and this is it. Like, this is him saying, I've been fighting a war and you've been faithful to me. That night is not going to happen again. Mm. If we don't get outside of our own little universe and try to understand what it's like for him, for them, for her, then we're going to miss it. Yeah. And you don't want to miss something like that. Because that's a special thing. Not only is it special, they pay us for it. Like, mm-hmm. Not only are they very vulnerably giving you what matters most to them, but then but then you're charging them a, a handsome price for it. So that's just, I feel like it's our job to be, that's why trustworthy is our, it's our number one thing. Like There's a big Japanese door that hangs in the front of the restaurant. And, uh, it, it, you can't you can't miss it when you, when you walk right in. It's an ancient corridor, right? The corridor was the innermost of three doors in a treasure house, an ancient ancient. Oh, our Skype kind of petered out on us here. But what he's talking about briefly is the Japanese kura door, K U R A. And the kura was the the hut or the house where you would store all of your most precious belongings. So these. These houses were developed to be weatherproof, fireproof, and the doors on them were a very special kind of door that made it very difficult for fire to get through. So again, the Kura door being the door to the place where you keep your most prized possessions. Oh my gosh, that's what we do. Like, I need this door. So she buys this door, it hangs up like right in the front of our restaurant. It's just sort of a symbol of saying, we are to be the safest place for them. Like, that's that's our job as a restaurant. Like hmm. they can bring their most valuable possessions there last night before your wife has a baby, you know, and for the rest of your lives, God willing, your, your parents or the last night with your grandma, you know, and every Christmas Eve you've been dining with her, but you know, she's not going to be here or your daughter's only 15th birthday. I'm sorry, but that won't happen again. And, 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 you know, that kind of thing is a big deal. So, our job is to hold those things carefully and mm. to protect them and to take everything we've been given, this fancy restaurant, a stunning view, world-famous wine list, whatever, right? Yeah. And to say, hey, let us use these to, to celebrate what you've brought us because what you've brought us is, is, is valuable. It's everything to us. Mm. So does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. Um, so, I mean, it's obviously so 
fascinating to to think of how this can transform the way I love. I'm, I'm really loving this concept of the difference between the rules and the strategy to win the game, and how everything that you're talking about, the whole you know, you could also say it's like your heart versus your tactics or something like that. The core, the center of the business. And what's so crazy for me is the way that this stuff, Mark, the way that you're talking about it, the, the way that it expresses itself in in your business, um, it is like it sort of slammed into what I've been working on in the la- for the last several years, learning how to, in an, in an interactive space, in a regular business and marketing space, how to really understand who's on the other side of a monitor, uh, you know, viewing your yeah. website, you know, as a designer and as a, as a, as a, basically a moment creator on the web or, or as a writer or as making videos or as someone who has to sell something or someone who's trying to get someone to trust you enough to buy something, yeah. all of this stuff. I've been working on that angle for so long and I've stumbled into a lot of this stuff. And I, and I, so when you were talking, it was like, oh my God, the, this is a much, this is such a clear, uh, expression of these things that I've been sort of thrashing around trying to understand. And it's been going on for 60 years. <laughs> you know, so it. <laughs> it felt so, it was, it's such been a, going on for longer than that, you know? We yeah. No, truly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and so that just that sense of, of um, uh, it just felt a little bit like a like a like like a, an awakening of some kind for me, be, just yeah. because it's like, wow, look at this. When I apply what I've been learning here to to where it almost more makes sense into an hospitality environment, uh, something like that, like I was like, oh, yeah, this clearly makes sense. So so then I can translate back from there into an interactive experience, into the writing, into the creating, into the shaping and the, and, and the selling of things and stuff. Uh, and it just, and my dream is that this kind of approach to, to earning a living makes us make better things, right? Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the deal, right? It's like people say, oh, you know, that works for you, but you are not in my industry. And we've actually kind of said, all right, well, you know, hold on, like, like, check yourself there. Like, unless you work in a lighthouse, you probably work with people. Yeah. Right. And if you're working with people, um, we've got to understand the concept of of being trustworthy. Yeah. Because trust is like the like the currency of relationship. It literally, like, trust its relationship as uh, the dollar bill is to the economy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. every relationship, you and your cat, you and your girlfriend, you and your sister, it's based off of, of trust. And so what we're doing is trying to figure out, like, okay, if that's the most important thing, we know that hospitality is a relationship, not a transaction. And, yes, yeah, some businesses or many businesses are more transaction-based, but more and more... I can't tell you all the random companies that ask us to speak about this thing. And it's like, okay, I don't think it's just a restaurant thing. I have a jewelry store, uh, yeah. banks, Microsoft, like random companies are saying, hey, can you guys come tell us that thing about about your servers and some service and, and how that works? Because I kind of think that relates to us because our, we're trying to get our guests, our customers to really believe in us and trust us. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're back to the trust thing, aren't you? Yeah. I don't think it's just... I don't think it's just for people in restaurants. I, I really don't. I think it's for people where it matters if the client, the guest, the customer, the whoever it is, needs to trust the business. Yeah. And I'd be shocked if that didn't relate to the, the vast majority of business out there. Like, yeah, absolutely. It, it happens to be relevant because most of business is from one person to another. Mm. And once we get to that place, that same place, we are in a restaurant. 
So it's germane to the conversation around um, around branding, around marketing, around social media, around all that stuff. Yeah. And I just think you can't you can't leave it behind. People say, "Well, how do you guys come up with your crazy social media stuff?" And we say, "Gosh, it's not crazy. Our only rule of social media is that we need to be giving more than we're taking." And most tweeting and most Facebooking from a corporate level and all that stuff, they're taking. Nobody wants to be in a relationship where where the other person is taking more than they give, right? It should be 50-50 or it should be 100 100%, 100% or whatever you want to say. But like mm-hmm. that business that just is like clearly putting it out there for their own gain, sorry, that's not a relationship or not one that I want to be in, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got a first date with a girl and all she does is talk about herself which is about 95% of the social media campaigns I see from other companies, that second date never happened. So I really do think it, it relates not just to restaurants and not just to business, but even to like marketing campaigns and strategies for other kinds of businesses. Because it, at the end of the day, um, we're tired of being pitched to as people. We're, trying, yeah. we're tired of being sold to. We're just kind of burnt out on that. And people want something that's real. They want authenticity and they want relationship and yeah. yeah if you can figure out how to sell that more power to you <laughs> or almost more importantly if you could figure out how to do in that way you know like if you could figure out how to do in a trustworthy way how to be how to how to i don't know just how to <laughs> yeah, i think that, i think it's doing i mean that's the thing is like that that's why I'm, i agree with no restaurant experience like literally what qualifies you for the job Again, like our three values are trustworthy, generous, other setting. What mm-hmm. qualifies you for a job here is you say somewhere in that interview, man, I wish I was more like that. Yeah. It's like that's what I'm looking for, right? Because then you get 95 people in a restaurant who at the, at the core are basically saying, I'm not perfect. And I really wish somehow I became more like this. Then the doing takes care of itself. Because what, yeah. what all those people are doing in your restaurant while they're working is they're becoming. Yeah. And it's a very powerful, powerful thing to become, right? And a little bit, I think that's what, what Bob Goff is so poignantly gets at. It's like, hey, like, what are you going to leave up here in this camp? Because mm. you got to go home with some space to become, you know, the next version of you. And I, I love that particular moment. But, but yeah, well, I, that's, that to me is what matters. It's, it's, it's taking care of your people and working with them on becoming the kinds of people that they want to become. And yeah. if we're not doing that, I don't know. I kind of feel like we're wasting our time. It's yeah. just business after that. It's just, it's just profitability after that. And uh, my staff is not interested in that. You know what I mean? There's yeah. more to life. Yeah. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. Um, where can people find out more about Canlis? Uh, the internet. <laughs> Internet Canlist.com is a pretty cool spot. We, got two, right. we have two websites. Uh, Canlist.com is, is up and running, and then in like, oh man, in like 50 days, we're going to launch uh, the back end of Canlist.com. Like, it's uh, called Canlist Land, and it's going to be an entire look into behind the scenes of a fine dining restaurant. It's super cool. So I wish that were up and running now, but oh. Canlist Land is still, uh, still a month and a half or two months away. But Canlist.com is the best place right now. Okay, cool. Mark, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate uh, hearing your. I could 
you, you, you clearly understand why we're all so desperate to hear more about this from you, because it's so inspiring uh, to see to see how it's how it's just developed over time. You, as you said earlier, it's like that perspective. You get to see all these special moments. Maybe that's why that's what's giving you this perspective on what it what it looks like to 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 earn trust, um, yes. to get to see all these great moments. So, so I, I really value your, uh, your thoughts on this stuff, man. Thanks for taking the time. So thanks, Chase. It's good, it's good to be with you for the Bellathon. Uh, wasn't it good? Didn't you guys like that? I tweeted, uh, when I first listened to it, I think it's the best interview we've ever played on the show. Not to disparage any of the other interviews, which have been great, but this one in particular, just, it grabbed me for some reason. Uh, well, I want to say, uh, before we get too deep into it, there, we have a fourth microphone. And, dear listener, could you guess, you have... Uh, Is it 20, your butt? 20 se- <laughs> 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 I, love, I love how you just transported us to the schoolyard. Like, instantly, there's that girl... Tristan, who's like cute and like sort of easy, and there's the guys who are basketball players, and then here am I with like weird, like weird clothes on, like weird Stussy clothes on, trying to be like a weird guy, and all of a sudden, bully Corbett, like the little guy with like two big guys hanging out around him, goes like, "Hey Chase, what are you writing in your butt journal?" <laughs> exactly. Can- but I mean, if we were gonna have a fourth microphone, where else? And there were only three people. <laughs> And I want to pick. Okay, now I don't even know how to take it to the next <laughs> stage. Now you're on your own. Okay, Corbett, tell us who the fourth member of uh, of the Fizzle Show today is. The fourth member is an actual person. Uh, thank God, not just a body part. Not just a body part. Uh, we are graced today with the presence of our newest team member, Barrett Brooks, who has a, a very stately name, I would say, and a very confusing name when you fit it in with the rest of us. But that's how we like to roll. Uh, that, and yeah, Barrett is. is our Director of Member Success. He's made a huge impact on the business already, uh, at least from what we've heard from all of our lovely members. And um, this is especially pertinent today because we're talking about customer service. And uh, who knows it better than Barrett at this point because he lives, eats, sleeps, breathes, and um, I don't know, does some other stuff with it. Ooh. Barrett, what else do you do with customer service? Well, my first question is who is Tristan? <laughs> <laughs> Barrett is also a good listener. <laughs> That's good. Barrett, uh, it's been a while. We haven't had you on the show yet, so we're glad to have you here. And, and what, our, what, our, what we're going to do is we're going to decompress from, from this interview. Um, uh, and then we're going to, the next episode, we're also going to have you on. And we're going to talk all about what we're learning about customer support uh, through the things that you've been doing in Fizzle and through things that we've all c- kind of done. Uh, and then also beyond that, how a vision of customer support could actually infiltrate and affect and, and revolutionize how you look at your entire business. And in so many ways, like all the audience stuff that we geek out about all of the design and copywriting, all of the, like make make something for someone's butthole. All of that stuff is about having a customer focus in your business, being avid about who the customer is and delighting them. So I'm excited for us to get deeper into it in that, uh, in the next episode. But for right now, what I want to do, you guys, help me unpack, because I was in that interview, right? So help me unpack and, and what you guys heard in there that was, so, that was, that was interesting to you. And Barrett, I, we, should, we should start with you. So what would you say? Well, I mean, I, I'll say the same thing that I said to you on our little internal communication app, and that's that he just so clearly has the right heart about this thing. 
uh, you know, he's got this world-class restaurant and he knows that the food has to be good and the service has to be good. But his point throughout that whole thing was it's about the experience of the customer. It's not about them. And I just love that so much. Yeah. And that it's not about the food, which when you think restaurant, the first thing you think of is food. And the whole thing that he was saying was when he's in the restaurant, he's teaching servers to observe the situation. People are here because, what did he say? People come back from from war. Mothers have cancer. Like huge yeah. events to push yeah. people to get up into this budget range for people that don't uh, have tons of money. They can just come here all the time. Yeah. So to be observant of why people are in your business as opposed to what they're there for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, to me, this just... Um the whole time I was listening, I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, he just articulated every bad restaurant experience you've ever had and every good one at the same time. He just made it clear why you have horrible restaurant experiences and why you have excellent ones. quickly and stuff like that. Well, and, and not even just the technical stuff. Really, the heart of the matter is that people are here for a special event and that he spends so much time trying to get inside the mind of the guest, trying to understand why they're there and trying to understand that it's not about them and trying to meet people where they are. He said he understands that um, the majority of their guests can't afford it. How many fine restaurants do you go into where they treat you like because you're not rich, right? Yeah, yeah. He understands that the majority of their guests can't afford it. And he also understands that tonight needs to matter. Like if you're going to drop $300 or whatever on a dining experience, it needs to matter. And that's all you expect. You know, the food, of course, like he said, it needs to be great, but the night needs to matter. And Mm -hmm. it's so much more than food. Um, And I've been to Canlis uh, when I was in Seattle. And I can tell you, I don't really recall the food. I recall the food as being good or great, but nothing in particular stands out about it. What stood out um, was the service that – you know, anytime anything was needed, they anticipated it. They showed up, um, but they weren't too in your face at the same time. They somehow had struck this balance like they knew what you were thinking. And I think yeah. they do to some degree because that's what Mark was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. The way that they prepare themselves for uh, for the other, for another, for the the people coming in is just revolutionary. Now, I mean, the, the way that, uh, now when I met, Mark, I was up on this this like retreat basically with uh, uh, my friend Don, who's a writer who knows all of these phenomenal people, and he's like every year he puts together a thing where where hey let's get some of these people who can make it and go up to this this place up way far north uh, or I guess you know pretty far north Canada on the on the coast. It's like the most amazing. I've never been struck by nature like never uh, as much as I've been in in this in that setting. And there's a guy there who has like a cabin that used to be a cabin for like John Wayne and John F. Kennedy. It used to be a, a, like it was built for dignitaries originally to be able to fly in and meet with each other without any of no press, no countries knowing about it. <laughs> like it's an, it's an insane historical thing. And then, uh, uh, it, this guy, Bob Goff ended up buying it. And so we go up there this just recently, I meet him. And it was such an interesting parallel to hear, to see, to watch how, because Bob, the way that he prepares his lodge for us, it's like a really big deal to him. It really was an important thing for him. And when you get off the boat, there's like 150 of us. We're on this big boat. When we're getting off the boat onto the dock, 
there he has like a handful of like his family and a bunch of other friends that got down like got there early uh and they're all wearing band uniforms uh because they, he just like went on eBay and found a way to get band uniforms and and there's like drums and trombones and stuff but nobody knows how to play any of the instruments. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I think it'd be funny if when they came, we're all like in a band, like playing instruments. That would be amazing. And everybody's like, but I don't know how to play instruments. He's like, oh, that doesn't matter, <laughs> right? So just this weird scene, this craziness. But as he's getting off, uh, as everybody's getting off the boat, he, he's like giving us all a hug and saying like, I'm so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you, right? And and I've, I've had that treatment before and I was and I was kind of like, uh, I don't really know how to, What? that's weird. Um, and then this time I was coming off the boat with Aiden on my shoulders. Uh, and you know, when you like, I don't know if this happens to you guys, but when you get that moment where like you're, you're starting to get like weepy and you don't really know why, <laughs> have you ever, has that ever happened? Like most of the time it's like in a movie and it's like, Oh my God, it's I know why. But that, like, as I was getting close to the, to like coming off the boat, like I was getting like sort of like emotional and like trying to hold it together. I'm like, come on, man, keep it together, keep it together. And then, uh, it's almost like I knew, it's like my spirit knew what was going to happen or something. Because Bob, he, he looks right at my son, Aiden, on my shoulders, and he gives him this huge hug, and he grabs him by the shoulders, and, and with this huge, massive, mischievous grin on his face says, I'm so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you. Right? <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense to a kid. They're like, this, you have? No, this whole scene makes sense to a kid right. think about it bands and like <laughs> crazy people and aiden's like of course this is how i imagine life should be <laughs> so he does that to my son and i'm like oh my god i want that for my son so badly that someone would prepare like think about and, and prepare a place for him he does because he deserves it and like right. i don't believe i deserve it right uh but i know for a fact that he does and this began that weekend for me where it was like, what does it mean to prepare a place for someone? What does it mean to say, I have seen you and you're coming to our house and, I've, and because I know what you struggle with and what you deal with and I know that you're an artist and you're trying to create and make every day and I think you're amazing at what you do. That's why I put together this, you know, these food items and this cocktail. I just seen you and it's not like it's going to change your life, but it's like, just so you know, I think you're incredible and I made this for you. Yeah. I've been waiting for you. That and then talking to Mark was like this 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 guttural emotional really holistic human experience of the word hospitality, right? Um which is what we think of when we think uh if you think about being in the restaurant industry or the hotel industry, it's the hospitality industry. And I love looking what I love so much about this interview is all of these con- uh, concepts make a ton of sense in a restaurant. All of them do because you, it, it, it infiltrates everything that you do from the silverware that you that you how you set up the silverware to to what you're putting on the plates and how you greet people and all this stuff. And yet, in our businesses, if I would say to you know one of uh, uh, like our friends, be like, hey, what? Tell me about your customer support. You immediately go to like whether or not you're using Zendesk or what software you're using, right. or if you have scripts and stuff like that, because we're so siloed about customer service. We have all of these pre-existing notions about it. So getting out of our our vertical and into another, and and then making the leap back, going from one separate culture back into ours, I think is what's been really interesting to me, uh, and, or really really informative. Because as my friends started up a restaurant and I'm helping them think through all this other stuff, 
it it I, every time I have that conversation with him, I'm coming back to Fizzle going like, oh my god. So I wonder how we could. It, it just seems like it's so much more effective to me than yeah. reading a book on it. You know? Yeah, and it's and it takes it takes a little more work because for a restaurant, we've all had the restaurant experience hundreds of times. And when you walk into a restaurant or when your customer comes into a restaurant, they're there. You get to shake their hand. You get to see how they're experiencing the next two hours. Yeah. When somebody comes in to use your software, it takes a whole lot more work to put yourself in their shoes and to observe how they're experiencing it. And, and you know, I think we're kind of in the beginning stages of user experience, you know, UX as a uh, that's sort of like customer service, right? Or hospitality, yeah. user no, experience. Absolutely. We're kind of in the beginning stages of that as a profession, and we're starting to understand how to use tools to feel what a, a customer experiences when they come in the door. But it takes a lot of planning, and this is where you know the the exercises that you walk people through a lot of times, Chase, with the the customer journey map or the user empathy map. Those things are really important to us because we don't get to shake hands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm just so grateful that you guys liked the interview as much as I did, or not in the interview, but like liked his thoughts on business as much as I did on on what because I think I think it feels the I f- think it feels like the same thing that we're doing, and not that now we're not you know putting food on the table for us something something, but there are people from the military and Fizzle trying to figure out what to do with with their lives going forward because up to now it was all following things by the book, and now the whole world's gone to shit and. And I got to figure this out. Like there, those stories exist in in all of our businesses, you know. And if we could be sensitive to them, they will make us better makers of things. So uh, and, uh, before we wrap up, yeah, how would you recommend that someone go to like a restaurant or listen to this interview or go to a Best Buy or go to somewhere and go through an experience and then relate that back to your business? Would you just go and experience it and then afterwards like go take some notes about how that could impact it or what would you guys do? Well, I think my first. So the the way I got into thinking on this stuff was my friend Sam, who started a restaurant here in Portland, gave me this book called Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. And Danny Meyer is a restaurateur in, in New York who um, who started up a lot of really great restaurants. And his focus on making it a neighborhood place, but also like, and like investing in the neighborhood and all this other stuff. And then the, what what about that makes business sense? All of that stuff has uh, has really started changing the way. That was the beginning of, of being able to see this stuff for me. I think if I hadn't read that book before I met Mark, I would have just thought, like, that's so cool. It would be awesome to be in the restaurant industry. Uh, but because I had read that Setting the Table, it it lays out almost like all this stuff. But I think like Mark, Mark's interview here just does that even even better. And just seeing how they do things. Like, there's so many more stories about how he... There's a video I'll put in the show notes of about what they, they do, like a, a staff dinner every... Uh, I don't know how often they do it, but it's like a big deal for them. And there's someone made this like docu- this mini doc- five minute documentary about it. It's very cool. So that's for that for me would be the way where to start if be, if you really wanted to to take the next step into these sort of concepts and then pulling them back to your business. Yeah. What do you I, What do you guys think? I mean, what I do is fizzles a monthly membership. So I look at other things that I pay monthly for or that my yeah. friends and family pay monthly for, and just watch that process. So when you sign up for Netflix. They have you rate a bunch of movies, and it personalizes what the recommendations are. So it's like, yeah. how could we do that in Fizzle? Mm-hmm. You sign up for a gym membership. They make you sign this huge contract, pay for first and last month, and make it impossible to cancel. Okay, yeah. how do we not do that in Fizzle? Yeah. So it's like yeah, looking yeah. at other people that do things at different industries but have similar business models is how I kind of treat it. Whereas, like, see, I, go ahead. I think there's an assumption built in there, and that's that you've already made a decision. And 
this goes back to the part of the interview where he talks about how he evaluates whether to hire someone at Canlis. Mm. And it has to do with this desire to embody what he talked about in the interview, that I want to be like that in the way that I work and the way that I serve and the way that I see my customers. And so I think for me, the first thing you do is say, do I want to be like that in whatever it is that I'm doing? And you have to make that decision before you do any of the studying or any of the reading or anything else. Mm, Yeah. All right. Well, there's a lot to get into, and we're going to do that all in the next episode. So Fizzler listener, please do just keep your shorts on. And we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll break open Barrett's skull and see what we can find in there about this kind of stuff. Uh, in the meantime, uh, so Barrett, you're going to come in right after Caleb. All right, I think you'll know what to do. I have been Chase Wardman Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr. I've been Caleb, not just a body part logic. <laughs> and I have been Barrett Allen Brooks. Nice. So there you have it fizzleshow.co slash six six those are just the numbers six six uh that's where you can go to find notes and a conversation about this episode people are talking add your voice in there i'd love to hear what you think and you'll also find on that page a great uh great video of canless that place that we were talking about the restaurant and how they do their staff dinners it's really cool i think you're gonna like it as we said, next week, we're going to be back with more talk about this uh, this concept of customer service and how it can totally revolutionize and, and, and infiltrate how we think about all the points that our businesses touch our people. Um, but in the meantime, maybe you could leave us a review on iTunes. Huh? Does that sound like something you could do? Here's one from uh, Baron C., who titles it, The Richest Yet Softest Tips You've Ever Laid Ears On. Baron says... Consider these guys your kookier, whiter, older brothers who have been around the block a few times in online business. My only critique is that you dudes don't prod crust twice or three times a week. Other than that, bravo. Well, thank you, Baron. Much appreciated. You might be able to add your voice there. Just go to the iTunes thing, find the store, search for Fizzle. You'll see Jamaican dance hall, booty music, and then three white guys. The white guys is the one to click, at least for leaving us a review. You could also leave them the, the Jamaican dancehall booty music uh, a review as well. I'm sure it's a great institution uh, lauded and praised by many. Uh, anywho, goodness, do I ever want to go eat at Canlis now? <laughs> okay, more talk about this next week. Thanks. <laughs>